Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. There we go. Um, And Merry Almost Christmas. If you're new here, my name is Larry Walker. Um, If we've never met, I would love to meet you. Um, If this is your first time coming to our church, welcome. If this is your first time coming to any church, you are doubly welcome. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here, as well as being on staff. And I have the pleasure today of speaking to you from almost certainly the most famous Christmas passage. The one that is quoted most, uh, seen on most cards, sung about the most. And regardless of what you believe, there's lots of things in this passage that are very appealing to you, probably. There are words like good news and joy and all the people and baby, depending on your viewpoints, and especially peace. There are things that can warm the heart, no matter if you're a Christian or not. Uh, This is a time of year that everybody kind of loves, maybe. I was at a coffee shop the other day, and it had one of those like Target-made generic signs behind the counter, and it had all those words on it that I just said. It was like joy peace, and then one of the words was believe, and I was like, in what? Like, you're so close. (laughs) Um, So today my aim is to be plain and simple. We have a long service after preaching, so um, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. I'm actually kind of known for short sermons. So So to begin with, what is this passage about? And specifically, what is this peace spoken of in verse 14? This passage is the historical account of the first news about Jesus' birth and how that news spread all the way from then to now. And you're hearing it today. So the shepherds are out at night guarding over their sheep. Uh, They weren't considered high in Jewish society. Um, They were often unclean and they were considered lowly at times. Um, And it was to these unimpressive people that the angel of the Lord appeared. And the angel terrifies them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. And the angel proclaims the news, the news that all creation had been holding its breath for up to this day. The Lord has sent his Christ. This means his king to be the savior of his people. And this king was Lord himself. And then the angel told them where to find this baby in a barn, in a trough, where animals eat and drink out of, in a very humble estate. Not at all how we would expect God to enter into human history. And immediately a heavenly multitude begins to sing songs of praise to God. And the words are, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So let's look at the word peace. What does this word mean? What is it and what isn't it? So is this world peace? 
as we may traditionally think of it. You know, in like a pageant, they're like, what do you wish for? World peace. Uh, meaning no war. If so, it obviously didn't work. Right? Look around. Read the news. Look at what Glenn prayed for this morning. We don't live in a very peaceful world, and we don't live in a very peaceful city. Did Christ come to bring that peace primarily? The words of Christ himself make clear that the primary point of his coming and being born in this world was not simply to make the world a more peaceful place. There are some interesting verses in Luke that don't get quoted at Christmas time, right? Like, I didn't come to bring peace. That's something Jesus said. Um, put that on a Christmas card. In fact, he says in Luke 21 that before the end of the age, there will be wars, famine, persecutions, families ripped apart, and all sorts of other terrible things. And in fact, these are all signs of his second coming. So the answer in this coming, this advent, is not world peace. Though peace between individuals is some of what Jesus' coming accomplishes, it's not the primary purpose. When I think about it, sometimes I think about, are you guys familiar with the story of the Christmas truce of 1914? Anybody in this room? You should tell the story, Peg. You know. <laughs> uh, no, it's all right. <laughs> One of the lessons I learned like six years ago is if you give Peg a mic, she's going to use it. Uh, <laughs> so I was told to keep this sermon to like 18 to 20 minutes. <laughs> um, although I think you do a great job. The story is of the Germans and the British on opposite sides of no man's land. And I learned some things about it this morning from Jared, Rosilla. Um, there was this moment where they, were, they just had a truce on Christmas Eve. And they put out Christmas trees. And uh, they played soccer. Apparently the Germans won, two to one. Um, they, like, one German who had spent time in uh, Britain met his barber and, uh, like, got a shave. Um, and there was this moment where there was this very temporary Christmas peace. Right, And then a couple days later, they were all shooting at each other again. So there are times when Christ's coming causes peace between individuals, but it's never lasting if it isn't connected to the primary purpose of Christ's coming. So maybe this peace is like that peace on the coffee shop sign. It's primarily a feel-good sort of thing. Did Christ come here to basically offer an addition to yoga or therapy or something else that makes you feel better inside? Not primarily, No. In fact, you tell me, followers of Christ, did your life get easier when you started to follow Jesus? Did you find yourself suddenly with no problems or with problems but this infinite amount of calm and ability to just approach them with poise? Is working a job, raising kids, being married, being single, being divorced, being unemployed, being rich or being poor suddenly easier because you're a Christian? I don't think so. I'd be out of work. Is there inner peace that God gives you? Yes. And Paul calls it a peace that surpasses all understanding. But it isn't the primary purpose of Jesus' coming. World peace is good. We look forward to it someday at Jesus' second coming. Is inner peace good? Yes. But they're not why Christ came primarily. So what peace is being referred to here in this passage? It's, it's clear in Luke. If you look earlier in the book of Luke in chapter 1, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesies about his son. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us 
from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. This peace is the forgiveness of sins. Peace with God. Did you know you needed peace with God? Romans 5 tells us that we're all enemies of God. We could go through all of God's commandments right now and we would find that we've broken them all. In fact, there was this guy who used to do this. I don't know if he still does it. Um, many years ago when Mandy and I first got married, I used to watch this, this guy. He would go to like up to people on the beach, particularly on the beach or walking, walking around town, and he would kind of put a mic in their face and he would say, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? And uh, he'd say, have you ever told a lie in your whole life? Have you ever told a lie? Of course, they would say, well, yeah, of course I've told a lie. Have you ever stolen anything? Anything at all? A pen? Of course, they've stolen something. Have you ever looked at anyone with lust in your heart? Have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Um, have you ever murdered anyone? That was usually the one that they were like, no, I've not murdered anyone. And he was like, actually, did you know Jesus said? Whenever you have anger in your heart, you murdered someone in your heart already. And they were like, got me, you know? And then he would finish it by saying, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, lustful, murderous blasphemer. And it was usually really awkwardly silent, right? His theory was that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble in his, in his evangelism. That's a little more on the nose. But I think many of us don't see ourselves as enemies of God, um, because we do a lot of good things. We live a good moral life, right? Um, we find ourselves sinning against God in our heart and in our motives because God sees the heart. Um, we can live good, outwardly moral lives, but still be an enemy of God. I want to give you one brief example, and I almost didn't do this because I was like, somebody might know this person in this room. Um, but I was listening to NPR the other day. And um, this is a brief example of, I think, how the world tries to do good but ultimately gets it wrong and sets themselves up as enemies of God. I heard a story about the poor hymnal. Are you familiar with this? Anybody in the room familiar with this? I'm glad almost no one is. That, that way I don't get this totally wrong. Go look it up afterwards if you wish. Uh, so I listened to an interview with the person that I went and read about it to make sure I got this straight. A composer wrote a series of hymns that represent ideals that religious worshipers can agree upon and non-religious people can agree upon as well, like kindness and generosity and caring for the poor. But they're intentionally disconnected from the worship of God. In the interview, the composer spoke about how worship of God was the primary driver in religion and good deeds were secondary. So because I have this relationship with God, I care for the poor out of an outflowing of my relationship with God. But some people are turned off by the idea of worshiping God or God in general. So he decided to write hymns that remove God and put our responsibility to one another as a central driving force of our work together. It reminded me a lot of the Jefferson Bible. Are, are you familiar with that as well? It's where Thomas Jefferson was like, there's a lot of good teaching in this book. All that supernatural stuff, let's just cut that out and chuck it, you know? Um, let's keep the good morals, um, ditch the supernatural, and hang on to the society-improving lessons. So there's a lot about this that looks good, right? Helping the poor is good, for sure. Having a sense of like a social contract with one another is good. I, I don't in any way want to trash these people. I don't know them. And it seemed like their intentions were good, but that's kind of my point. Uh, good intentions don't mean that you aren't making yourself an enemy of God in some way. My immediate thoughts when I heard this story were, 
did anybody ask the poor about this? Before you wrote a hymnal for them, did anybody say, we're going to take out God, you know? Because generally the number of Christians is significantly higher among the poor. My second immediate thought was, you're removing what actually helps the poor here. At the heart of the Christmas message is that Jesus came to save you from your sins. Uh, I come from a poor community. It was very broken. Lots of broken families, lots of addiction. Um, lots of my friends went to jail. Um, they don't need just some sort of social program to help them. I didn't need that. Christ came to set you free. And as Zechariah said, he came to guide our feet in the way of peace. The primary thing the poor need and we all need is reconciliation with God. And yes, that will lead to peace as we follow the Prince of Peace. That will lead to less violence as we follow the Lamb of God who laid down his life. This peace is a peace that changes us from the inside out. And that was my, this is my third thought about the poor hymnal. It wouldn't have worked on me, for sure. I had a heart of stone, meaning I was cold and dead inside. And singing these songs to me would have been a lot like trying to teach ethics to a corpse. You're just wasting your time. I don't have ears to hear it. I'm incapable of hearing it. I need to be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. Jesus came and was born on this earth, and I needed to be spiritually born again in order to be changed. So ultimately, brothers and sisters, friends, our deepest need and longing is to be at peace with God and then to experience wholeness flowing from that. We're naturally enemies of God, and he came near to us to make us his friends. He was born so we could be reborn, <clears throat> so we could be saved from our sins that we commit on purpose and the ones that we don't even realize we're doing. That's the peace this passage is talking about, peace with God. So what does this have to do with you and your immediate life right now? What do you do when life is terrible and you find yourself in fear? What did you bring into this church service this morning in your own hearts? This is a not exhaustive list of conversations I've had in the last two weeks. Many from this church, all from this neighborhood, okay? Fear for our church. What's the future of our church? What's the, what's the leadership going to be like? What about this building? Is God actually going to provide for us? Fear that I'll always be alone and single. I'll never have a family. Am I worth it? Does God even love me? Fear for my marriage. Did I make a huge mistake getting married? This is way harder than I thought it would be. Yep. How can I keep this covenant? Is this really for the rest of my life? Yes, it is. A relative of mine has cancer. Will they live? How will I go on if I lose them? I've lost my job at Christmas time. What am I going to do? How will I provide for my family? This was one two days ago. I feel really sick, and I can't afford to go to the doctor. What if I'm really sick? What if I'm really sick? Um, how will my family and the people who depend on me survive if they lose me, how can we afford the medical bills if I choose to go to the doctor? I can't afford groceries for my family. What am I going to do? I'm so ashamed. It's Christmas, and I can't afford presents for my children, and I'm really embarrassed by that. What if I just mess up at life, and everyone sees me for what I really am? And much more. And that was all just one person. That was a joke, guys. Come on. <laughs> I almost didn't make that joke. Not to say any of those things lightly. That's a lot. How do you sleep at night with these burdens? How do you have rest in your souls? And how does this passage speak to this at all? How do you keep this peace? 
I think there are at least two answers in this passage. <clears throat> think again about the shepherds. When the angel appears to them, they're terrified. And what did the angel say? The angel said, fear not, for behold. And then the angel tells the message of good news and great joy. In this passage, fear is the opposite of beholding. And if you wonder what beholding is in its purest form, look no further than Mary. <clears throat> and all, these thing, and all, all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary had already heard from an angel before, remember? Months earlier, in chapter 1. In chapter 1 of Luke, the angel appeared to Mary, and we read that she was troubled. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now when she hears from the shepherds, along with the multitude, we're told Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I can't wait to have a conversation with Mary. The words and the different ways this has been tra translated are pondered. So I, was, I, was, I don't know Greek, but there's lots of Greek commentaries out there. And so I was trying to figure out exactly what do these words mean. And the words seem to say pondered, treasured, and cherished. It seems like beholding takes two forms. One is mentally chewing on these things, really mashing it up in your mind, thinking and thinking on it, right? Setting your mind on it. The other has to do with the heart, and cherishing and treasuring it and culti cultivating it. The words in the Greek commentary I read said, piecing it and connecting it all together in her heart to see how it all fits together. And she'd been doing that for months and months. What if we did what Mary does with the list of fears that I mentioned earlier? What if we pondered and pieced together in our hearts how our fears and sufferings fit into what God is doing here on Christmas, reconciling us to him? What if in our actions with our neighbors, enemies, and the world around us, we pondered and pieced together in our hearts how our hurts and our prejudices fit together with what God is doing at Christmas, reconciling us to him? That would bring greater peace to our homes and in our own hearts. God made us and God loves us. And though we have sinned and run far from God, he came to us and died to make a way back to him. I urge you to come to him today. Give your life to Christ and to follow him. Let him guide you in the path of peace. It costs him his life to give you everything. So come to him. If you're looking for a testimony of this reality in our midst, look no further than Michelle Townsend. As she ponders the Psalms, I would recommend that you go up and talk to her about this. Ask her about her experience saturating her heart and mind in the Psalms and see if it's made a change in her life and soul. Liberty Church friends and visitors, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Ponder this, treasure this, this Christmas season. And then like the shepherds, go and tell the multitudes, giving glory to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.